Welcome to Tales of Moxie. I'm Desiree. And I'm Jenna Lee, and we're your hosts each week. Each week, we interview women to hear their stories, and we address topics that don't usually get talked about so openly. Be ready for honest and raw conversations about all the things we're struggling with as real women. This week, our guest is Sherry Franklin, who is an amazing woman that felt the need to open her heart and home to foster children. In this episode, she tells about how she got into fostering, what her and her family felt through the 25 children that they had the pleasure of fostering, and what her family looks like now. The highs, the lows, and just what a real-life foster family looks like. All right. Well, welcome to the podcast, Sherry. I'm really excited to get to talk to you because I have followed your journey on Instagram since my husband and I looked into fostering. And you have had so much wisdom and so much insight, even just following your posts. So I'm really excited to get to talk to you. Thanks for meeting with us today. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited to share what I have. Which, <laughs> yeah, but thank you. You're welcome. We would love if you would just start by telling us your story and kind of how you guys got involved in foster care in the first place. Sure, sure. So uh, we, it's almost been six years ago, so about six years ago right now, um, we started to get kind of a tug to look in, or maybe I did, um, to look in adoption. And uh, my best friend was adopting um starting the adoption process at the time and so I kind of had this nudge to do the same and so I did and then I looked into international and I just sort of I don't know kind of researched a little bit and um and I quickly just felt like this wasn't the path and that was okay and I just thought you know I know that the timing I'll just know when it's right but it's not this isn't it yet so um I just kind of put it away but anyways in November um my husband has been a youth pastor for, oh, he had been a youth pastor for 10 years and was kind of going through some changes, uh, like career-wise, and decided that he wanted to be a, um, like a, well, he wanted to do special ed, but more with behavior kids, and so he was in the process of finishing up his master's, and so he came into my school, I'm a teacher, a uh, middle school teacher, and he came into my school to observe and get some of his hours done, and he sat in on a meeting where a family um, was there for their he was, was he in seventh grade? Yeah, he was in seventh, yeah, seventh grade at the time. And so their seventh grader had an IEP meeting and Luke came in to sit at the meeting. And it was during that time that we found out that, um, that mom was pregnant, that they were not doing well. Um, and when I say not doing well, they were, um, struggling with, um, oh, with, with drugs basically. Um, but so then we kind of, I just kind of threw out there, like, oh, my word. Then we found out she was pregnant, and I just said, oh, my word, like that. We, um, like, if they needed help, like, we, we could totally help them. Like, it just sort of, I just threw it out there, and I didn't really think anything was going to happen. <laughs> Famous last words. So um, <laughs> the next week, it was a Thursday, I think. Um, the next week was was a Veterans Day, and Mom had the baby over the weekend. And... Um, we got a call on Friday, and they said, Mom has a baby, and it, we, we need a place for it. We need a home for the baby for a while. And while they get, um, well, they kind of just go through recovery process. And are you, are you interested? And I was like, yeah, we can do that. Like, it, it was bizarre. It was really bizarre. It was a Friday morning in my classroom, and it, it was literally just like, they kind of just, um, I don't know. It just, it really did fall in our laps and we were just 
I don't think, I think we were completely ignorant. We had no idea what we were doing, um, but we were willing. And so we said yes. And so we picked up that baby that afternoon. Um, they called us that morning. We picked him up that afternoon. We signed papers. They did like a quick background check. And, um, we were considered kinship care, even though we didn't know the parents, um, but that's what we were considered. And so that's how it started. Um, when he came to us, we, um, we were told that they had never seen a family this deep into addiction recover. And, um, so we should probably go ahead and fill out the adoption papers. And so, um, and I share all of this because it's like, this is part of the story and it's, it's okay. So, um, anyway, so we were like, Oh, okay. So we started to fill out papers and then, um, and then basically time rolled around and, um, within about a year after he had been with us, we, um, it was pretty obvious that his parents were actually going to be recovering and they were going to do really well. And so, um, that kind of started our journey of, of really, um, just befriending them. I would say probably for the first six months to a year, dad was really easy to get to know and like, and, um, and mom and I, and we say this all the time, it was just harder for us. I think that she had assumptions and I had assumptions and it was very misunderstood. There were a lot of people that had opinions and a lot of people, a lot of players in the game, meaning and, and all well-meaning people like social workers that, mm-hmm. um, were afraid to tell us too much. And you know what I mean? So it just kind of, it, it was just a lot of misunderstandings, um, which I'm now finding is just incredibly common. So Anyway, so he um, ended up going home after, it It was about, it was just shy of two years. Um, His parents were incredibly, um, I mean, they did everything. They were so hardworking. They um, are incredibly loving. They are crazy smart. Like, they just, I mean, like, they, I tell them, like, it's really sort of a shame that you are our first, our first people, because, like, I call them my because they are, are now our people, but um, that they were our first family because they've set the bar so high. Like, they just, you know, everybody was like, there's no way they'll be able to recover, and and here they did. And I know there are so many stories where that does not happen, um, but it did for us, and so that we celebrate that and the redemption of that. So anyways, when we knew he was going to go home, we really just felt like we can either bridge this gap and do everything we can to celebrate this boy going home and celebrate his parents and encourage them and um, support them in ways that we didn't really know what that would look like, but just kind of taking it step by step. Um, anyway, so when we knew he was going to go home, then we got we started getting calls for other babies. And so along that time, then we got an emergency call for another little guy. Um, and so that's just kind of how it started. Um he, the little boy that came to us when we still had our first, um, our first baby, he was, um, how much younger? He was like nine months younger than, but he was newborn. But I knew instantly when he came to us that this baby was going to go home. And it was really very much like, I am very much the middle mom here. And I am just, um, I knew my job was just really to do, to support her. It was just without a question. It was really kind of very different, um, but really good. So, so we call those two boys our originals and, um, they, we still see them all the time. We're very, I'm very close with both of their moms. I've talked to 
both of them today. It just, I mean, it's just sort of, it's bizarre. So, but it's been really great. They are close friends and I, and it's become a reciprocal friendship, not just like, you know, when they need, they need me for something or I need them. It's, it's very much, I don't know. It's, yeah. So that's how we are. So those were our two. So since then we've had, um, we've had about 25 since then. And our last two babies, we, um, uh, we actually just finalized our adoption with Fisher about a year ago. And then our, our other little Missy, we're actually finalizing on um, October 9th. So, wow, congratulations. So, thank, thank you. Thank you. That's so, exciting. yeah, that's kind of our, I mean, there's a lot in between there, obviously, but that was what, that was the start. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I'm wondering, just because I follow you and I know, um, you have biological children, correct? Right, right. How many right. children do you have? We have three. Okay. Um, and so our oldest is, <laughs> I always lose track. Um, she's, thir- <laughs> she's 13. And then our middle, uh, well, now, and our second oldest, I call him the middle, but we call him the bigs and the littles, just because yeah. there's such a big gap between. But um, he is, Silas is going to be 11. No, he's going to be 12. Sorry. See? Mm-hmm. Um, and then Gresham is going to be 10. So, yeah. So they were, it was six years ago, so they were four, four, six, and eight. So they were still younger, but they were old enough that they were, you know, they were helpful, and we we thought we were done. We didn't think, we didn't see this in our future, honestly. I mean, we weren't against it at all, but we didn't, you know what I mean, seek it out. But yeah. but I'm glad we, I'm glad it fell in our laps. Yeah. Changed everything, it's, so. It's so fascinating to me that you had looked into it. In, in some form looked into adoption mm-hmm, before mm-hmm. and then it was like okay here it is here's your path um, yeah yeah and I'm I'm curious so I love the way you said middle mom because yeah. when we looked into it that wasn't necessarily how it was portrayed to us but the more people that I talked to kind of used not that terminology exactly but made yeah. that clear did you find at all that you had a hard time being a minimum did you have to adjust to that like how was that trying to be like these children are in my home but they are I, I am being a middle mom yeah so I think that when we looked up when I looked up adoption beforehand I really feel like that was just my heart being softened to like just kind of the footprints were there and it was kind of like I don't know. It was just kind of turning my heart to that so that it was just an easy decision when they called. And people say, like, I mean, did you? I think I texted Luke. Like, I don't even think I called him when they said, can you have this baby? Can you, you know, take this baby home for a little bit? And and that's really the phrasing they use. Like, it'll probably be like a week. <laughs> and then, wow. like, oh, no. Um, but I just texted him. But I think that was because we had already, like, the conversation had already kind of started a little bit. But. But with um, with Dilly Barr, which was our, our second little guy, he, I don't think it was hard. I, that sounds really bizarre. And I think it wasn't as hard because our first one was so hard. Mm-hmm. And that was so hard for me to make that shift because I just had no idea. I had no clue that, um, that really the purpose of foster care is to keep families together. Um, I had no idea. I didn't. And I really, I, I look back and I was, I'm kind of like almost embarrassed of my ignorance, but I just had no idea. And I mean, I'm a teacher. I had kids that were in foster. Like I just didn't know the whole system. Um, 
so it was a it was a huge learning curve and that first year was crazy hard there was there were lots of tears lots of apologies lots of like oh that's this is not the purpose like you know adoption really isn't the purpose of foster care and and obviously along the way that that has to happen Mm -hmm. in some cases but that's not the that's not the initial goal and that and that was so hard for me to understand at the beginning Um, but I think that that it was really used that first year was really um was really used to start paving the way and to crack open that spot in my heart that this is not my baby and I can love him like he is mine but really like I need to be I need to be his mom's cheerleader and Mm. um and let the pieces fall where they are if I, you know, where they may. So, um, yeah, so I don't know if that answers the question quite yet, but, but that, yeah. And there were times where other babies, um, that we had that it was harder. The middle mom, um, Dilly Bar's mom was so, she just was with, like, she just, she had made some mistakes and, and I hate to say that so flippant and it's not, I don't mm-hmm. take it that way and neither did she. She's fantastic. Um, but it was just, I mean, she just was meant to be his mom. And it was so obvious, like, from really, like, the first time I met her. And I remember looking at Luke and was like, our job is to get this boy back with his mom. Like, this is so easy to see. So, I don't know. And even though we, we had him for two years, too, it was just very, it was just more um, making sure that she was able to get all of the pieces. It just took longer for some of the pieces to happen, which happens, um, yeah. like housing and things like that. So mm-hmm. that can be hard. But so, yeah. So you so. had you had him for two years from birth to two. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. how was your heart when that time came for him to leave your home? That I would feel like the hardest part to me. I remember I can, I mean, I'm looking at my couch right now because that's where we were all sitting. She came over and she picked him up and we had kind of done the transition of like lots of, um, overnights and longer visits. And so we knew it was coming. We'd been like talking about it. She'd come over and like helped get him ready for bed to kind of learn his routine, like just little things like that. But I remember when I handed her to him, I was just sobbing And I told her, I said, like, I don't want you to think I'm sobbing because I'm sad. Like, I'm grieving, but I'm not, like, I'm not sad for him. I'm not, I'm not sad for him and I'm not sad for you. I'm just sad that this chapter is ending, if that makes sense. Like, it's, and I know it's time and I know it's time for us to continue with our story with you, but this, this chapter is, is done. And so she was so, um, I don't know. I think that's the thing I've learned is that. Um, some, we have, because we've kept in touch with so many of our babies that have gone home, I feel like that is such a, a grace to us, um, that really we have not, not done anything. It's recognizing that like there's, it is not easy for them to send them back to us to visit or, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. um, there are privileges that we have that, that they were never given and that is hard. For me to see that, I don't, I don't know how else to word this, but um, because of where we are um, with our relationship with them, and we worked hard to kind of acknowledge that um, that this would be tense, and there will be times when it's going to be vulnerable, and there's going to be times where it feels like we're kind of stepping on eggshells, but to just keep going um, and letting them know that, like, we really are for them. Um, I don't, I can't really. I can't really put that together as well as I'm trying to, but, Mm -hmm. 
but it was challenging. I know it was hard sometimes for them to let, to come back. Um, but at the same time, we all felt that it, that it was good for all of us, even though it was hard. So mm-hmm. that kind of makes sense. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Of, so yeah. after, so you said the first two, you guys took another one. How then, mm-hmm. how did the conversation go then to get you guys into the world of like 25 is a big number to me. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, you threw oh, it out we, there, but I was like hung I up know, on that 25. No. We, um, when we first got our first little guy, so he's like, are you going to be one of those foster families that has people like babies all the time? And we were like, no way. That's ridiculous. So like when we say 25, like I don't, that's kind of a big number, but it is a big number, but I don't, um, I don't throw it out there just to be like, you know, like here's our, like it's a punch mm-hmm. card or something, but just that like, um, I think each of those stories has been, has taught us so much. Um, and so we got to the point with the other two where we were like, we really could do this and we really could. And that kind of the ones in between, so the two boys that we had first, we had them both for two years. And then in between that, we had more short term, a lot of, um, we had quite a few respite and quite a few, um, like a couple weeks here and there. We had one little guy that his relatives were wanting, were, were waiting and ready for him, but they had a few things to get ready, some paperwork and stuff. So we ended up having him for six months. But with all of those, the plan, there was always kind of a plan, more or less, of like, you know, mom is ready, um, except for this one thing, or dad is ready, except for this one thing. So it was always like very, um, oh, this is kind of a short term. They're considered long term after, after. I think after two weeks or maybe it's 30 days. I honestly can't remember anymore, but, um, so that was where we felt like we could, we can do that. Like we can do kind of some in between. Um, but then it just got really hard to connect for, you know, a few weeks here and there and then they would go. Mm -hmm. So we did that for about a year of like, just like kind of some, but the ins and outs got really tiring because I've, I have now figured out that the first two weeks of every placement is so hard that's the hardest time I think because you are getting to know the child the child's getting to know you you're learning the case you're learning like kind of you're learning um you're learning parents on how to interact with them and learning you know what works for them it just takes so much time so it's kind of exhausting after a while and so finally I said I think we're ready for another long-term one um and so that's kind of that's why we had so many in between Mm -hmm. there um we were very open to adoption, but after the two boys, um, we felt like we really only want to advocate that adoption happens when there's really no other option, um, when parents are not actively um, working or relatives are not actively trying to get, um, you know, trying to step in or step mm-hmm. up. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Have you found that there are any common misconceptions about foster care? Because I feel like that's one of the ones that that I thought going into it was that we would look to adopt, and that wasn't, like you said, that's not their goal. Is there anything else that you've seen that that maybe wasn't exactly like you thought it was going to be or not what you were expecting? Yes. Um, I asked my husband this question before he left, or like he went to go pick up kids, but I said, what's the biggest thing that surprised you? And he said is really just, um, like, just how skewed my view was. Um, I think you hear so much about 
foster parents being, not foster parents, but, but parents whose children are in the system being so, um, I don't know, just basically villains. Um, mm-hmm. And that shocked me. Like, oh my word, they're actually people. Like that, I mean, that sounds so stupid, mm-hmm. but it's really true. And there are so many fears of like, well, what if I give them, if I give them my phone number, will they hunt me down? And you know, like I've heard, <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, I know that those things happen and I'm not, I don't live in this Pollyanna world, but I do know that sometimes we, we live out of fear and we put, you know, our fears on these people who we haven't even gotten to know. And I honestly think that they do the same with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that our moms have shared that too, that it was a relief for us to get to know each other because then they they knew where their child was and they weren't picturing the very worst too. So, mm-hmm. um, but I would say the, the biggest misconception is, oh man, there's a lot, but I would think that, oh man, I don't even know. I have so many different ideas, but I honestly think would be probably the birth, the like working with birth parents that's my biggest for us. Um, but I do think I've also been surprised of just learning how resilient kids are and how, um, I mean, they're just how they really are just kind of, um, they're just kind of amazing, honestly, like just what they go through in their stories. And, and honestly, like a lot of times they come from families where their parents have very similar stories. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's the piece that kind of probably shocked me the most is just their, absolute resilience and honestly really how good so many of their parents really are and are just kind of lost in their um, in their own trauma mm-hmm. that yeah that's probably what I would say that, that's such a hard one and I'm I wonder how how big of a role do you think your faith has played in helping you see you know that side of that oh, as well been, as this it, journey yeah um my faith is night and day different than it was six years ago. I am not the same person that I was. I am, um, oh, I see the world so differently. And I think I, um, I'm so grateful for the way that he just cracked my world wide open, um, to see true hope, um, and finding hope in the most hopeless situations. Um, I think that's the biggest thing that's changed and you just kind of, you hold these brand new babies or you hold these frightened toddlers and you are, you are just searching for that hope. Like, it's like, okay, what, what is going to come out of this and how can, how can I search for the light in this? Like, absolutely. I mean, just the darkest situations. Um, and I don't think that we are, anything special and I hate when people say like you know I'm so you know like we are the that people that the babies are so lucky to come to us or something I don't think that at all I think that we are actually the lucky ones that have been able to just watch these families and these babies and these kids just flourish and um and just kind of make it and really I mean that's that's not anything that's not because of us. That's just because that's what, that's kind of what love does from all of us, from their parents, from social workers, from, it's just this like somebody, I don't know, just to kind of step in. And anyway, so I feel like 
our faith has just sort of kept us just to keep going and just to keep looking for the light and keep hoping and keep praying and keep encouraging and keep like just keep keep mm-hmm. on there's so many times where you just want to throw in the towel um but that's when I feel like I feel like when you want to throw in the towel that's about around the corners when something some it's just extra bright you know like that's mm-hmm. that's when the light seems to be the most meaningful so that's probably the biggest thing um that I've learned but also just like my definition of family now has really changed um of just that you know I didn't I knew I kind of knew going into it that our family was going to grow but I didn't know how and I didn't know what that would look like and I didn't really expect it to be this way with you know moms and dads that we love and that have worked their tails off to get their kids back and Mm -hmm. didn't I didn't expect that at all and I think that he really blew our socks off of that one so I remember when I knew that that um our first little guy was gonna go home Mally he um I this I think it was actually well my friend sent me like a card that had a like a print with a verse on it and it was I always say it wrong. Is it Habakkuk? I always, <laughs> my husband is. My husband's like the Old Testament guy, and so I, I always say it wrong. He always corrects me. But anyways, it just said, like, um, basically, like, look and look with wonder and um, just know that, like, you'd be, oh, gosh, I'm totally botching it. But basically, like, look in, on, look in awe, and you will be amazed at that you won't even believe the things that I will do. Like, it just kind of was like, I don't know. Like, we play such a small role in it, but if we could just keep on, keep showing up, keep loving, keep, I don't know, reaching out and stepping in when we can, I think I think he can just really do amazing things with that. So mm-hmm. that's, that's I should probably fix, look for that actual verse, but it's around the corner, so I'll have to get up again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... I, I like hearing that your definition of family changed, and I'm wondering how how did your kids come around with that definition too? Was that a hard transition at oh, all? Oh man, yes, they no, it wasn't. I say I say yes because they were like kind of instrumental in so much of it. Um, with with our first guy, they were just like okay, totally on board. And then as time went on and we started taking so many more, we really felt like we need to make this a family decision and not like with the first two, it was just sort of like, yeah, we're available. That's fine. It's great. And then as time went on, we felt like we really need to include them in this decision because they were, were making lots of sacrifices to make it work. And, um, and that's not to mean like, I think, I think that when you join in someone with the, when you, when you step in stuff, suffering with others there are sacrifices and it's not just you know money sacrifices but time and um and attention and all kinds of there are sacrifices so anyways we wanted to honor that this was a family decision and acknowledging that they are making sacrifices to make this work be it like you know that we are giving a lot of time to babies or um whatever our visits obviously visits can take a lot or therapies take a lot of time and so it does it requires a lot of time but anyway so as we we did that the kids were really great of like no we can we can do another one like it's Mm -hmm. and that was part of our reasoning behind doing 
we've, we've, our oldest child has, was, I want to say four, um, four or five. And that's part of why we've kept lower because our, our big kids take on so much. And so we felt like if we went older, that was going to require a little more of our kids, um, like they would have to share a bedroom and, and that's totally fine. I don't see, I don't think that's wrong, but just where we started, it just seemed like that would be a huge shift for them. So anyway, so they were pretty great in, um, just stepping on board and, and do it, doing it. And there were times where, um, you know, there was, we were approached with one placement and we said, we'd like to think about it. And so we, we talked about it and we, got to know the case a little bit, which doesn't, that doesn't always happen, but we were able to know it. And the kids were actually very much on board, but Luke and I had to sit down and really think about how much in saying yes to this particular placement, what we would be saying no to. And Mm -hmm. in the end, we really just felt like we really want to say yes. And it's kind of killing us to not, but we just knew that it was just, it just wasn't going to be, um, it just wasn't going to be the right thing and that it would just kind of put everything, um, it would just put stress where, where there didn't need to be stress. Mm-hmm. And I don't, that's, um, but thankfully because we said no, another family was able to make it work really easily. And so I feel like we put so much pressure on saying yes all the time, but sometimes it's just not the right, it's just not the right thing. And so mm-hmm. anyways, so we said no to this particular one because we knew that we needed to keep saying yes in other areas um, that were important. But, um, but you know, when be- before when we found out that our that they were asking us to um, follow through with adoption with our two babies, we sat the big kids down and we just said, you know, explained to them what was going on and asked them their thoughts and um, and honestly, one of them was saying like. I, I feel like if we do too, that we probably should take a break for a little bit so that, you know, and, and that, and we agreed like it, it's, yeah, that's probably right. And, it, and they both said, maybe not for forever, but for right now, like, mm-hmm. you know, we're all kind of, and it, and I think that's really accurate now, probably now that we say that I get a call or something <laughs> fantastic. Right. But <laughs> But I think it's just trying to stay on the same page as much as you can because it is a lot of juggling. It is chaos. It is, but it's also really worth it, and and the kids really feel like it's worth it. Um, and I think their worldview is just so night and day different than um, quite a few of their peers. And and I, I don't think there's any way for them to have gotten it other than to experience the suffering and the grief and the goodbyes and the just to see families really giving it their all to bring their families back together. So mm-hmm. I don't know. That's kind of, yeah, that's probably my take on the big kids. And they're so helpful. They are so helpful. Um, and probably because we really ask them to be, um, to be honest with you and try to make it, you know, we say to them a lot. And I was talking to my friend that had a big, has older kids and younger kids that, both sides make a lot of sacrifices. Like our babies make a lot of sacrifices because they have to go to a lot of games. Like that's not, you know, so it's a lot of time in like an ergo or running around in a gym or whatever. But our big kids also make a lot of sacrifices for the babies. And so we just try to talk about that. That's kind of what families do. You Mm -hmm. kind of 
make sacrifices and you step in and you take care of each other. And sometimes it's about you and sometimes it's about them. And sometimes, you know, you just, it's about everybody. So mm-hmm. that's kind of, yeah. Yeah. Now, when you say that, like, the whole family feels the grief and the goodbyes and stuff, do you guys have, like, a period of time after that that you guys try to heal as a family? Or does it feel like the next one comes quickly? Um, I think it, it's been different with all of them. Um, with our last goodbye, we had um, her for not quite two years, but it was pretty close again. And it was by far... I mean, it was the hardest, hardest, hardest case. Um, there were a lot of uncertainties, a lot of unknowns. There was not, like, um, and I say this because her mom and I have talked about it a lot, but there were a lot of, um, oh, maybe risks. Mm-hmm. If that's, I don't know if that's the right word, but in sending her home so early, but everybody felt like we needed to try it. So we were all so raw when she left and just I mean it really really it really wrecked us and so we really felt like we were going to just take a break um but we've also said now that we um we don't really believe in plans anymore because it just (laughs) never they just the first time we set a plan is just wrecked so that was actually when we got the call for Ruby um which is our the one that we are adopting next week um and we were very much like, I don't know, I don't think this is, you know, it's too early, it's too raw. But then the more that we heard about our story, the more it was like these little like nudges of like, oh goodness, okay, yeah, we probably should say yes, or just, you know, like mm-hmm. kind of that. So I think you just listen to your gut. It's not, you can set these plans and we tell the kids like, you know, we're going to, this is our, this is our goal. But if we get a call for this or if we get, you know, we'll run it by you, but we might say yes. And they, they kind of are used to that now, just mm-hmm. that, the unknown flexibility of it, I guess. And in different situations, when uh, when a baby went to like a relative or um, it was a really short term before they went back to a parent, those were different. Those are a little bit quicker to recover from, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. yeah. So, and you, yeah. Guys, you guys both work full-time in the we midst do. of all this how yeah what does that look like with all visits and I mean how does how does that even work it's a hot mess but <laughs> it works um so Luke is a teacher at the high school he teaches behavior kids that just uh I call him that's not the right but that's actually he's a behavior interventionist so okay. he works with kids that have an IEP with for social emotional um and um so it is it can be a lot some days. Um, and then I teach middle school, and I've taught middle school for a long time now. So I feel like it's um, constantly changing as far as school, but I also feel like I have a fairly decent hold on grasp. I don't know if hold is the right, maybe a little too strong of a word, but um, a grasp on it. So anyway, so our babies actually go, we've always managed to find um like an in-home daycare, it's never always, it's not always been the same daycare for all of our babies, but, um, it's just kind of, it's kind of worked out. However, I know that is a big, um, that has been a huge gift and that's not always the case for everyone. Our state, excuse me, they do, um, cover childcare for, for, um, babies or for children that are in foster care. They cover that. Um, however, once they're adopted, then you, that's on you. So, Mm -hmm. Which 
you know, that's a huge, it's a huge blessing to be able to, um, to do both. And sometimes it's a lot. And, and our, my, uh, principal has been really understanding with times that I've had to miss. And, um, and it, it is, it does fall under FMLA. So like family leave, foster care and mm-hmm. adoption. So you, that kind of helps a little bit, but it's a lot of juggling. It's a lot of balancing, which I think is a silly word and doesn't, it's not really true, but <laughs> it is, it's yeah. a, a lot of constantly like, um, something has to give. And usually, um, I, I don't like September. Actually, I hate September because it's just such a hard adjustment. But then once we're in it, it's fine. Like, it's mm-hmm. just like, it, it works. It's okay. So yeah, it's yeah. probably that it's been all right. Yeah. I know we've talked a lot about, um, so many hard things and, and the suffering and, and all the, the hard pieces of the puzzle, but I know that there's also really good pieces. So what do you think have been the best things that you've experienced or that you've learned through being a part of the foster care system? Um, far and away is finding myself in um, so many of the parents that we've worked with, far and away. Like just this like, I don't know, this like kinship of like so many parts of their story, I have the same things. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of by, I mean, by the, by grace alone that, um, I feel like I was one, I was one step away from where they probably could have been too. And I think all of us are, uh, but that is far and away been the biggest, best surprise is just, um, like really falling in love with these people and just like really finding myself in them. And, um, I think also of just, I I don't, I've been trying to word this because I don't really, I think with adoption, um, I think one of the biggest gifts for us in having so many reunifications or relative, like relative placement is that, I really see what a sacrifice adoption is and, um, and I've been able to grasp that differently for our babies that we are adopting. And I don't mean, I don't mean that to sound like a, like it's not joyful because there's so much joy in it and there's so much, um, I just, just this like ridiculous privilege to watch them grow up and be a part of their life. But it's also like, I get, I get it. Like, I don't get it, but I get it. Like it's, um, and so I think that that sounds like a really weird answer, but to see that like one of the biggest gifts has been to see the whole picture of, Mm. um, of just how many people come into play and, um, and how many hearts are on the line. And, um, I don't know. I think we've also been just like kind of in awe of how eager people are to really, I want to say this carefully because I think foster care can be so, so isolating and ridiculously lonely, but I also think that people are really, really eager to help. They just don't know how. So I think that's one thing that I, that has probably been really surprising to us. Um, that they really want to help. They just don't know how. So just watching people step in and, um, just be supportive, I think is another thing. So that's probably our best, our biggest surprise. How, for sure. going so, off of that a little bit, how, how can people help? What are the ways that you've seen the, oh, to be the man. most influential? 
Yeah. So we have somebody, we have no idea who it is. It's been five or six months now at the beginning of every month, they send us a gift card and, um, it's a, it's $50 to somewhere. So it's like Dairy Queen and man, I don't even, um, Dairy Queen and Panda Express and the movies and (laughs) Chipotle and Target, like little, really little things. Um, but that is huge. Um, it's so simple. I think that sometimes the hard thing is that um, while as as a as a foster mom, you are not recovering from giving birth, but you are recovering because a lot of these babies are grieving in their mm-hmm. loss, and so you are losing sleep and um, and it is emotionally taxing because you're kind of carrying the weight of the baby and you're feeling these. Um, just heartbroken for moms that are missing their babies and there's just there's a lot there so I think meals are huge I have um I have a friend who she is amazing she I don't she's one of my favorite ladies but she is now I think they fostered over 300 babies it's like it's a crazy crazy number but she has somebody she has a friend and she calls him a diaper fairy and Mm -hmm. then the diaper fairy drops off diapers like every other week and they just leave on the front porch. And so it's like little tiny things that just really mean so much. Um, or even like delivering a coffee or babysitting, um, or, oh man, there's so many things. I think, um, I think that, you know, drives like pajama drives and those things, those are really great. Um, and they're, they're helpful, but, but uh, there's a need all year. There's mm-hmm. not just a need at Christmas, and there's not just a need in the holidays. And so that that's just a little soapbox moment there. But it's true. There's yeah. something to do all year round. And um, and I, I don't know. I think, and sometimes, too, I think is you don't ask somebody how you can help. You just kind of say, like, because that, that puts a lot on the other person to be able to say, like, oh, well, we could do... Mm-hmm. Rather than you just say, like, hey, I'm going to bring you a meal at 5 o'clock on Wednesday, you know, or would 5.30 be better? Like, you kind of take out the option of them to bow out or to give you, you know, to help you with what, what they need help with. So um, I'm trying to think. There's so many things. When we first got um, Mally, we didn't have anything. We had just gotten rid of everything. And so our church just kind of stepped in. And we had everything by the time he came home, which was five hours later, we had a bassinet, we had clothing, we had, um, car seats. And so I think, I think people are really, really, really eager to help out. They just don't know what you need. And so, you know, there's lots of, there's lots of options, but I would say those are the big ones. Um, yeah, yeah, probably it. That's neat. So what advice would you have for maybe someone thinking about fostering um, and they're in those beginning stages and, and feel the tug, but they're not quite there yet. Yeah. What, what yeah. would you say to them? So I would say to start with, um, start with learning all you can about trauma and attachment. Okay. Um, I think that's the, that's the first thing because um, it, it does not matter if you get a newborn or you get a 17 year old, 
there will be both. Um, mm. and, um, and a lot of times it's kind of some in utero trauma, like, um, drug exposure or sometimes alcohol or whatever. Um, but it's still trauma and it's still, um, it still matters and it still plays into all of it. So I would say reading as much as you can about trauma and attachment, um, start reading other books about, um, Oh, just anything you can kind of get your hands on with foster care and adoption. I think both are equally important. And I don't think there needs to be like a, a stigma against, there's nothing, I don't think there's anything wrong with adopting from foster care at all. That's not, I hope I didn't come across that way. I do think, um, it should not be, it should never get in the way of, of helping, helping or, you know, of, Supporting reunification, because there is, you know, I don't know. Anyway, so I would say as long as you can read, read as much as you can about foster care and adoption and just sort of soak up all the stories because there are no two stories that are the same. Um, I would say that um, getting started, man, what else would I say? Um, I do think that sometimes if you're feeling that nudge to just, keep taking the next step. Um, I don't think, I think if we wait until we're ready, we'll never do it because the reality is it's never this. It doesn't always just align just right. Like you kind of have to just be willing and, um, always just ready for that next step or kind of being proactive about it. Mm. Um, cause then you're ready when you do get the call, um, or not, you know, then you have mm-hmm. the option. I should say you have the option to be ready or not when you do get the call. So, Um, so yeah, I would say that I would say also advice is just talk to people that have, that have fostered or adopted and try to get both sides of the story. Like people that are not jaded and people that are jaded. I think there are both sides and I think both are equally important to learn from, um, because they both have important experiences to learn from and to hear about. And, um, I think both are equally important. So That'd be my advice. Do you have but, any advice? Yeah. Do you have any advice for people that are currently fostering? Is there some sort of self care that you guys do, or something that you guys oh, really focus on to make sure that you know you're you're feeling your best in the middle of all that? Yeah, I would say, I would say that I think we're often stronger than we give ourselves credit for. Um, meaning, and I don't mean that to sound, that sounds kind of arrogant, but just meaning like when you feel like throwing in the towel, like just take that next step, just keep plugging forward, but also listen to yourself. Like if you really feel like you need to take a break, then, then take a break. If you feel like we all reach our breaking point, I mean, there's, that's really obvious, but if you need, um, and respite in, we're, we're in Washington state, respite is pretty easy kind of, I should say, I should say that carefully. Um, there's a thing like if it's, you can have anybody babysit as long as you would feel safe. Mm -hmm. It's called prudent parenting. So there's a little bit of leeway with us, but I know some States you have to have like background checks to adopt, to, um, babysit and things like that. But we are not, we are not that. So, um, I go on lots of walks. I, um, listen to lots of books or lots of podcasts and just sort of like try to take myself out of the situation or gain perspective. Just mm-hmm. kind of don't feel guilty about giving yourself timeouts, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I've also, I think 
above and beyond is just finding your people that get it and finding people that don't get it too. I think both are equally important because foster care is all consuming. It is Mm -hmm. like, it will suck you in and it's all you can think about and all you can see. And it is so important. It's, I think it is like, I think it's crazy important. I don't want to call it work, but it is, it's, I, I don't think there are many things that are more important, but I do think it's important to talk to people that don't get it because then that kind of reminds you of like, okay, this isn't the end of the world. Like it's, it will move forward and there are other people dealing with other things not involving foster care and they're still stressful. Um, but I do think it's really good to have people that do get it too, because then you don't feel like, you know, you don't feel quite as lonely, um, Mm -hmm. and they get it. So yeah, yeah. You need somebody to cuss with probably (laughs) (laughs) if we're being honest here. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. No. Lots of, Lots of praying, lots of cussing. So, sorry. <laughs> no, that's great. That's, that's real. It's, it's authentic. True. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the truth. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. I kind of took over because we, like I had said at one point, we had looked into it. So I had a whole of these questions yeah. that I had thought. But um, I really yeah. appreciate yeah. you taking the time to meet with oh. us and, and giving oh. us so much just authenticity behind the whole system. Because I know for me, when I was thinking about it, I I didn't know where to go. The, what they kind of yeah. told me at the beginning seemed like, oh, this is really easy. And then people kept telling me, you need to talk to people who have been there. So I really appreciate yeah. you kind of shining a light yeah. for us on that, but also showing all sides and showing us the hard parts and the really good parts. So I really appreciate that. And we're really we're really grateful and honored to have had you on the podcast. Yeah. Thank you. I Thank you. I appreciate that. It's been the, um, by far the hardest thing we've ever done, but by far the best as well. So it's yeah. a good one. It's both and. Yes. And we can yeah. tell that. Thank yeah. you so much. We yeah. really appreciate it. Yeah. No problem. Thank you.